Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 26, How Wrongeth You Are. I am broadcasting live, well, live for me from the Power of Change Worldwide headquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. My co-host and friend, Jesse Fury, uh, is not with me today because this was an unplanned episode. Well, it's been planned quite thoroughly over the last couple of days. Um, but it wasn't our normally scheduled uh, affair, so to speak. We will be together again next week, uh, kind of with a tag team podcast here on the underground. So today, you're going to be stuck with me. Well, I'm going to begin today by reading from the introduction of one of my favorite historical books, a book called Orthodoxy uh, by G.K. Chesterton. He was a British journalist uh, a little over 100 years ago. This book was written in 1908, but... Chesterton was uh, almost prophetic in his uh, vision of the direction of Western civilization and and culture, and very prescient in his uh, prediction of where we would head. And so I highly recommend orthodoxy for those thinking about uh, truth uh, and various uh, ideas about God and ourselves, either being accepted or rejected in society today. So this is from his introduction, really explaining... uh, why he wrote the book. He said this, the only possible excuse for this book is that it is an answer to a challenge. Even a bad shot is dignified when he accepts a duel. When some time ago I published a series of hasty but sincere papers under the name of, quote, heretic, several critics for whose intellect I have a warm respect I may mention specifically Mr. G.S. Street, I guess that was the guy he was debating and talking with, said that it was all very well for me to tell everybody to affirm his cosmic theory, but that I had carefully avoided supporting my own precepts with example. And then I guess Mr. Street said, I will begin to worry about my philosophy, said Mr. Street, when Mr. Chesterton has given us his It was perhaps an incautious suggestion to make a person only too ready to write books upon the feeblest provocation. (laughs) But after all, Mr. Street had inspired and created this book. He need not read it. But if he does, he will find that in this page, as I have attempted in a vague and personal way, in a set of mental pictures rather than in a series of deductions, to state the philosophy in which I have come to believe. I will not call it my philosophy, for I did not make it. God and humanity made it, and it made me. Well, the phrase in that introduction that I just love, that he was only too ready to write books upon the feeblest of provocations. So today's podcast (laughs) comes from me being ready, all too ready to rant on this podcast about a particular subject upon the feeblest of provocation. Now, I'll share in a moment what that provocation was and why we are going where we're going today in the podcast entitled, How Wrongeth You Are. But before we go to our main topic today, I want to take us to our Ruts and Butts segment. Ruts and Butts here on the Underground is a simple segment based off the phrase from the Old Testament wisdom literature book of Ecclesiastes. There's a phrase in that book that says, under the sun, that's where we get our uts from, where the preacher, right, Solomon, observed life here on earth, life here under the sun. And under the sun can almost be understood life as it is, without any transcendent truth or word from God or God speaking into it. Uh, And life under the sun is pretty ridiculous, ruts, and 
Beautiful. There's a phrase from Ecclesiastes uh, that I really like, and it's in the, the very beginning of the book, chapter 1. And this is from the Christian Standard uh, Bible. This is Ecclesiastes 1, 2, and 3. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. I like the word ridiculous, right? What does a person gain from all his efforts that he labors under the sun? So if you look at life, it can be a little absurd, right? Empty, transient, futile. Um, Some would even say meaningless at times. If God, right, is left out. That's very important for understanding much of the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, two items today I want to share probably would fit in both the ridiculous things under the sun and the beautiful things under the sun because it comes from two men that uh, I guess I don't know what you'd call them story uh, storytellers writers musicians uh, comedians perhaps uh, the first one and, and these two gentlemen went to Yale University together which is kind of funny in itself the first one is from a gentleman named John Hodgman now some of you may know um, John Hodgman from his uh, work on Comedy Network. He's also the PC guy in the old Mac versus PC ads. You know, the Mac is the hipster guy in his little shoes and his jeans and hoodie saying all that the Mac can do. And the PC guy is this kind of nerdy guy with glasses. Well, that's John Hodgman. He was also, I believe, on The Daily Show. Um, he's written many books. Um, he also has a podcast that I wanted to share as both a ridiculous and beautiful thing today. He has a podcast called uh, Judge John Hodgman. We're basically... He kind of acts like a people's court kind of judge where people come on to debate some sort of topic like, you know, topics like whether a hot dog is a sandwich or not. Um, Or this week's uh, episode was called Race Clothes, where a gentleman and his live-in girlfriend, um, apparently she was bringing her case against him that she wanted him to spend time with her, but he was too busy. Well, you might ask what he was too busy with. Well, apparently he's a NASCAR fan. Nothing against NASCAR. I have some really good friends, uh, guys I went to college with, very involved uh, at the highest levels of the NASCAR world. Uh, but this young man uh, apparently you know, watches the races all weekend, but is also involved in what Judge John Hodgman called fakie races. So he races online in video games. Got a little steering wheel, right, a gear shift and pedals in his room. Uh, and I guess he races multiple times a week with fake uh, races, which Hodgman called fakie races. Um, and then he also uh, broadcasts fakie races through Twitch TV, which is kind of streaming video game. You can watch other people play video games. So basically this guy spends all his life doing that. And his girlfriend wanted to bring uh, a lawsuit or a suit to Judge John Hodgman to settle that, that he should go out with her. And so it's just really kind of goofy kind of funny, but it also reminded me of something ridiculous that I mentioned in our Man Up episode that Jesse and I did about the state of young men, uh, where a 27-year-old man plays uh, racing video games all week and watches TV all weekend and ignores his living girlfriend. And as our family listened to this, my wife was just listening to it and says, is this real? And I said, yeah, oh yeah, it's real. Uh, The the court's not real. He's not a real judge. It's kind of comedy. Um, But my wife said, she should dump that guy. <laughs> and I was uh, having my young daughters listening in for the virtue of understanding uh, male behavior in the world under the sun. So that's the first ridiculous thing. And it's really funny, so it's beautiful as well. Uh, but the second has to do with his friend he went to Yale with named Jonathan Colton. You guys may uh, remember when we did our Christmas episode, uh, we ended with a song called uh, Merry Christmas from Chiron Beta Prime. Um, 
really, really funny. Jonathan Colton writes kind of these songs about uh, life and the future. He's kind of a dystopic, like utopia, perfect world, dystop, dystopia, you know, everything's going to go bad in the world in the future. And he, a lot about technology, so I like listening to his music. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, but he has a song called Shop Vac. And basically, he's poking fun at the absurdity of kind of married suburban life in certain American contexts. I'm going to play a small clip uh, of that song for you here. And I'll, I'll cut the whole thing in at the end if you want to get the whole glory, the beautiful and ridiculous of uh, ShopVac. Here we go. Shopback song, a little ridiculous, I'd say so, but he's kind of, uh, and listen to the whole song at the end, he's kind of getting at uh, how ridiculous our lives are. If you think about life without God under the sun, it's kind of uh, absurd, right? We're here for a little while, then we're dead, and and what do we do in between? Well, we get a shop back, right, and we ignore our wife, uh, even if she's crying because it's loud with the shop vac is on and we uh, we like this Starbucks better because it's better than the other one. Well, in logic, uh, there's an argument strategy called reductio ad absurdum. It's Latin for reduction to absurdity. And it's a form of argument that tries to either prove something or, or show something is false um, by showing that the argument itself leads to ridiculousness or something absurd or something uh, wrong. So you kind of reduce something to its absurdity. Now, the interesting thing is there are philosophers, say, for instance, William Lane Craig, who has made arguments for the existence of God simply in a reductio ad absurdum way by saying, look at life without God. This is really what Ecclesiastes does. It shows the futility uh, that life is sort of jacked up and leaves you empty feeling, no matter if you have money and you work really hard and you have lots of, you know, he, you know, Solomon's like, I got lots of ladies and stuff. All the things that people think that will make life meaningful and deep and real sort of leave us, right, uh, in, a, in an absurd, unsatisfied, empty feeling. And we know this feeling. Uh, many people throughout uh, history have reflected on uh, life being tragic, brutal, and short, right? Um, whether it's like from, you know, uh, what is that class? I took a drama class. We, we read a book called Waiting for Godot, a play from Samuel Beckett. 
uh, from the 1950s that shows these two guys just kind of waiting around for nothing um, and life kind of being that or or Douglas Adams uh, science fiction uh, work a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy you probably watch that on Netflix it's also a book where the meaning of life is, you know, it's the whole universe, you know, the, the story goes that there's an intergalactic freeway going to be made and it's going to, you're going to have to blow up Earth to get, you know, to get, get your planet out of the way kind of thing. And the guy kind of goes through this journey and he finds out that the world is being run by a couple of white mice. Uh, and the meaning of life, the supercomputer answers him that the meaning of life is 42. Now it's kind of ridiculous. But when you think about it, uh, no God, the world is just blind, matter, chance, space and time, flying from nowhere to nowhere, and we're all going to die, and the universe itself will end in heat death with no purpose or hierarching meaning to it whatsoever under the sun. But what about if there is transcendence? What about if there is something beyond the sun, right? This is the argument where the writer of Ecclesiastes goes, this is the end or the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the, f- the full duty, or the purpose of humanity. Because indeed, if we're not alone, if we are indeed creations endowed with purpose, dignity, mission even, and uh, the ability to love, which seems central to the universe and to our existence, to love God and to love one another, uh, then life takes on a very deep purpose. Even how we treat one another seems to matter very greatly. Well, now as we approach our main topic, I want you to remember reducing things to their absurdity. Uh, Because our topic today is going to bring up a subject that at first glance kind of sounds attractive or interesting or maybe true. But when we press its implication... It becomes an extreme absurdity and, in my opinion, a very dangerous idea. Well, now to our main topic uh, today. It's simply entitled, How Wrongeth You Are. This is almost going to be our second treatment of rantology. You know, our the right Reverend Dr. Uh, M. Div, almost someday Ph.D. Uh, of rantology, Jesse Fury. Jesse Fury is not with me today. But I was uh, brought to the point of wanting to rant a little bit, and here's the provocation uh, to this podcast. Why am I doing this today? Well, my daughter came home from school this past week, and she was interacting with some content and materials uh, that she heard in class. I'm not going to get into details of which class at this point. You guys will start looking up teachers' names and things like that. But basically, the subject being discussed was cultural relativism. Relativism means there's kind of no absolutes. Uh, Things are relative per culture, particularly dealing with morality. Now, look, nobody, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of go after relativism in a simplistic way, like create a straw man, knock it down, to say like, oh, What's true for an individual, you know, it's true for, you know, you're, if this is your moral truth, what about your guy next to you? If he has a different moral truth, or who's right? Well, most uh, sophisticated relativists aren't individualistic, person-based relativists. Like, everybody has uh, their own morality that everybody else must adhere to. Like, if there's like 7 billion moralities kind of fighting for moral space and moral high ground on planet Earth, no, nobody really believes that. But there is a more sophisticated version we just call cultural relativism, uh, by which um, societies or certain civilizations or groupings of communities of people have a certain morality that might be different 
than yours. And so from Kayla's class this week, there was an example given of a, of a, a you know, a tribal culture, I believe in Africa, uh, where there was a practice when uh, boys was the example in class. I found an article in the Atlantic magazine that I'll put in the show notes uh, about a rite of passage dealing with sexuality. We're basically where uh, boys in the example given in class or in the in the article I read, girls and boys of a certain age are kind of taken away on like, you know, a retreat. Hey, it's retreat time. You're getting to a certain age where basically uh, they are taught about sexuality by grownups. And, um, you know, I don't want to get into the details too much. Please do read this in your show notes uh, that, that I'll uh, put for you. But basically sexual acts and sexual uh, performances have to be done with adults um, and one another um, uh, as kind of a rite of passage. And so he, he used that example, the teacher in class, to say, hey, that's not really cool for us to have. The example in class was a father taking his son away and doing this, so basically molesting his kid. Yeah, so from our cultural frame of reference, mor- morally, uh, that would be you know really wrong, right? Who, who's going to justify that? Um, but from another cultural perspective, maybe that's how they teach them about things and the results of that society. Well, they have no sexual violence or rape or things like that because they've been taught somehow in a certain way. So that was the example given for cultural relativism. Well, that was a bit for me provocative. So there's other examples given, say, if you take an introductory ethics class at a university, uh, where examples of other cultures, maybe say uh, Eskimo cultures or certain Native American tribes, you know, motivated by uh, the desire to, uh, you know, let younger, healthier people live when there's a scarcity of food and necessities, right, that you might feel the need to. And this has been a practice known as senicide uh, of of abandoning the elderly, you know, put grandma on an ice flow because, you know, you don't have enough uh, food for grandma. She's kind of old anyway, and she's kind of can't hunt anymore. And she can't do her thing. So you just kind of, you know, put her, put her out to sea, so to speak. And so I'll put an article in the show notes on that as well. Just a basic definition of euthanasia, mercy or good death, uh, and senicide killing older people. But you know, there's also examples from, uh, science fiction, for example, the prime directive from Star Trek, all right? Uh, this is from Jean-Luc Picard, uh, Captain. Not quite Captain Kirk, but his predecessor and pretty cool as well in The Next Generation. The prime directive, he says, is not just a set of rules. It is a philosophy and a very correct one. I didn't want to say moral or right, I guess. History has proved again and again that whenever mankind interferes with a less developed civilization, no matter how well-intentioned that interference may be, the results are invariably disastrous. So the prime directive is like, hey, don't mess with any cultures. Like, let them do their thing. And we kind of tend to teach this, I guess, today. Certainly happened in school this week. uh, That one culture has a set of moral truths and another culture has a different set of moral truths. And quite frankly, who are we to judge? Now, I've engaged in these kind of discussions over the years because, uh, one, these are very serious matters when you start talking about things being right or wrong. Uh, because if something's not wrong, usually human beings find a way to justify the actions and, and then people do these things. Um, and then certainly uh, the truth of morality uh, certainly points to uh, a transcendent source because there is, if there is, for an example, a law that we all ought to, no matter where we are in time, history, place on the earth, like say we shouldn't 
you know, boil babies for fun, that all of us are kind of have a moral duty not to do that, that uh, existence of a moral law then would uh, require some sort of explanation. And certainly those of us who believe in God uh, certainly believe that the source of that morality would not be human beings, but a law beyond ourselves, given beyond ourselves, a transcendent source like God himself. So very important issue. But it's attractive, you know, you know, if you hear these kind of things, well, this is the way they do it in their culture, this is the way we do it in our culture. Now look, there are differences in, in historical societies and contemporary societies, some significant uh, differences. There are differences in morality. So in terms of moral phenomenon or what people believe, there is a difference. Now, the rightness or wrongness of those things is what we're talking about here today. Now, this is very important because, for instance, take, for example, if there's a society that everyone believes that something is right, we cannot, we must not get into this idea that, well, if everybody believes it, this is kind of the crowd's morality, uh, that it, because it is, it, it ought to be. Think about it for a second. If there are not moral norms that we can challenge a society from without it, from outside, right? Um, how can we have progress in society? How can we have good moral change? Let me give you an example. For instance, it was once in, in, in America, uh, in, the, in the North American colonies, a way of life to own other people uh, from African descent for their own economic benefit. Well... We had to change that. Why? Because it was wrong and moral change and progress is possible because there is a law beyond the law of maybe, say, southern dominant culture morality. Or, for instance, uh, yeah, I think for a second about Germany during World War II. I'm actually reading a book called The German War right now uh, by a man named Michael Stargardt. Uh, it's, a, it's a book that looks at uh, the war years in Germany, roughly 1939 to 1946, and what the German people were thinking about other nations and why they were fighting. Of course, they were being lied to by their own leaders, right? The Nazis, right, were, you know, cooking up, you know, false narratives to say, oh, the Polish, uh, you know, provoked us. And so we got to go to war and invade Poland. Um, now, lying is lying transculturally uh, wrong. Well, well, if it's not, then were the Nazis doing anything wrong? Well, of course they were, because lying is one of those moral laws that's transcended objective beyond culture. And, for instance, what if what if all the uh, no Nazis kind of won out, won the day intellectually, and, and for instance, uh, let's sterilize and put to death all people that we deem invalid, you know, people with certain medical conditions or people of certain races or backgrounds. Let's just kill them all. Well, the, obviously... Uh, that is not good or right. But who's to say that if, well, that's their way of life. That's their culture. You know, Jim Crow, South moral change in the 20th century related to uh, racism, uh, systemic structural racism in the South. What about practices like female circumcisions by fathers on their daughters where they basically clip genitalia uh, because it's their custom and culture? Should we say that that's right or wrong? Should we interfere with these things? If we were to say that was wrong, by what grounds do we say it? Or, for example, the practice of sati uh, that was outlawed by the British Empire 
where a woman in India would have to be either throwing herself on her husband's funeral pyre, make a fire, husband's dead. The widow has to either get on it herself uh, and, and go, go, go down or sometimes forcibly done. So is that right? Is that wrong? Should that be changed? And by which grounds do we change it? Um, debates today that we have, for instance, in our current contemporary immigration debates in America, I'm not going to get in on to, uh, you know, that today. This is not an episode about the immigration debates. And quite frankly, I think there are good points being made by both sides in a rank in a way that has so much vitriol and rancor and and hysteria by both sides. Right. Uh, Left, right, whatever, whatever you are. Um, People are going crazy about this stuff. But um, one of the arguments that I've heard is that people right should be granted asylum because they are fleeing, say, Central American countries that are just terrible situations for them. The society is degraded and it's dangerous. They're going to die, so they have to get out. Well, is that just their way of life down there? Well, no. We we are going to critique that way of life because it's uh, wrong. But by what grounds do we say that's wrong? By what law? What a transcendent standard. So, I believe, right, that it's ridiculous to actually push and stress cultural relativism when we know these cases uh, to be wrong that exist outside of a culture. Now, here, listen to me for a second. I'm not saying transcultural moral discussions are easy or simple, uh, but I am saying they're not impossible. And certainly there is a law above people Above the Nazis, for instance, the Nazi defense in the Nuremberg trials, uh, where war criminals were put on trial, right? Uh, well, didn't you know what you were doing is wrong? No, I was obeying the law of the land. This is this was the law. We people voted for this. This is our government. This is the way, what we were doing. I was just following orders. Well, is that a defense? Well, it's indefensible. Why? There is an objective standard beyond the laws of that land that brought them into judgment. Now, where does that come from? What is that based, right? It is difficult, but objective morality, I believe, is true. I think it's real. Yeah, but how do we support this? Now, I- interestingly enough, um, most who have rejected belief in God have become relativists, not in a simplistic, individualistic re- relativism, but in a cultural, uh, communal way. But there are some modern atheists um, who want to support objective morality, say, say, for instance, from biological evolution. Maybe that there's a universal human thing that's evolved um, that uh, gives us the same morality transculturally. That's very interesting to try to uh, justify that or try to support that. Um, Or some uh, appeal to reason, like reason, right? Sam Harris is a secularist. Um, Some of you may have heard that name. He's usually classed with people like Richard Dawkins as a new atheist that not only think that, uh, you know, people shouldn't believe in God, but belief in God is bad for people, um, certain religious views. And so Sam Harris is, has done work trying to reinforce objective morality from reason alone, right? We just think this thing through, we'll figure it out. But the question then becomes who's reason, who's morality, who's culture? We're back in that kind of relativistic bog without God, without any transcendent source. We're kind of stuck like Chuck without a rule from outside the mob or the society itself. So interestingly enough, there are philosophers uh, who have looked at C.S. Lewis makes a great argument in mere Christianity. Uh, William Lane Craig, as a kind of an analytic philosopher, makes a, uh, a deductive argument for the existence of God from 
the existence of objective moral truths or moral values. And so his, his argument, if you like philosophy, um, is, is pretty cool. It's, it's shaped and formed in, in a certain uh, way that, that makes it really, really slick. But it goes this way. If God does not exist, atheism, there's no God, objective moral values do not exist. So uh, values that are right for everyone at all times. So, for instance, the Nazis went brainwashed everybody. What they were doing would still be wrong, even if no human brains believed it. If morality is that way, um, if God does not exist, those things do not exist. Like for Friedrich Nietzsche, the atheist philosopher, was very honest. If there's no God, there's no up nor down anymore. And so Craig's argument goes, if God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. But his second premise is objective moral values do exist, right? Personal or cultural relativism is false. Uh, therefore, God exists. Uh, you know, and the burden to refute this will have to sh somehow show that objective transcultural morality is exists apart from some transcendent source and that isn't just something that we made up. And so um, I think this is very important because these matters really are at times matters of life and death and human beings are profoundly immoral. Um, Certainly Jesus uh, said he, he didn't entrust himself to any man because he knew what was in people, right? Um, that the heart of people, you know, the Old Testament Christian, the heart of man is exceedingly wicked. And one of the things that I love about G.K. Chesterton, he's very honest that the Christian worldview is very honest about our nature. There were not just a bunch of sweet kindergartners um, wanting to share our lollipops with each other. In fact, if you go to kindergarten, there's people taking each other's lollipops and popping each other and have to be told not to. Certainly none of your children, but uh, I've seen mine when they were little, right? And so morality matters, and it matters transculturally. Why? Because one of the reasons the prime directive exists in Star Trek, so you don't interfere with the development or evolution of a society, and certainly you don't want to get involved in some imperialistic destruction of peoples uh, over, you know, they drive on the left side of the road, you drive on the right side of the road, let's go to war. Uh, transcultural moral discussions are difficult and important, but they certainly matter. So how do we approach those? Well, first, humility. We have to be humble. You know, somebody believes something different than us. Uh, you know, hey, I think this is right and cool. What's wrong with that? And we think, whoa, that's that's really bad to take your son on a Boy Scout, you know, camping trip uh, to teach him about and then kind of molest him. Well, in our culture, whoa, that seems really bad. Well, because it is bad. Um, so how do we talk to people about that? Well, we need to learn to ask questions of these ideas in humility. Well, why, why would that be right in any society? And then allow one another to justify their ideas. I'll never forget being in Eastern Europe, speaking with a professor uh, at a university. He was from a university in the Czech Republic. And we were having this very discussion about cultural relativity because that's what his position was. He was an atheist. In uh, my view, that, that, that there is really objective moral truth in the world. And so I was, we were just kind of kicking it back and forth. And so I asked him, hey, what, was it right for Hitler to send his tanks into the Czech Republic, right? Because if you look at World War II history, right, Germany invaded and took over the Czech Republic. I was like, was that right? He goes, well, maybe for them it was. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess it is right. They take all your stuff and, you know, put you, put you in slave camps. That's cool. Um, he goes, but, yeah, maybe they thought they were doing right. Maybe that was right for them. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, would it be right for them to kind of bulldoze people in the town square with their tanks? Well, for them, that's their view. I mean, we wouldn't like it, but that's just, you know, their view and could be their moral truth. 
And so obviously this was a ridiculous conversation. And so when things get absurd, you, you know, my, my advice is to push it kindly, gently, respectfully with humility towards, uh, the absurdity that it deserves. So I asked him, do you, you don't think that there are things that are absolutely wrong for everybody? He goes, no, maybe not. And I said, well, well, if I were to bring a baby out here and, you know, in a cigarette lighter and started to burn him for fun, you would think, oh yeah, that's just his morality. He's from America. That's what he likes to do. And he said, oh, maybe. And so at this point, we were not having a rational discussion. And so instead of trying to answer this kind of craziness, I just looked at him with a horrified face and kind of recoiled physically from him uh, because obviously burning babies is is wrong. And and, and he, he had a panicked look on his face. He grabbed my arm and said, no, 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 I don't I don't believe that. And I said, I know you don't believe that. So we need to quit playing games because life matters uh, and it's precious and certainly moral, you know, uh, being good to one another, whatever that means. Right. We need to we need to figure that out together. So humility, but yet being clear about uh, why we justify our belief in moral truth. For instance, our morality, the book of Romans says that there is a law written on the hearts of all people. you know, philosophers in the Middle Ages called this natural law. You know, there are still people today that are doing very, Robert George at Princeton University, uh, Jay Bujaszewski uh, at the University of Texas, a Christian philosopher who wrote a book called What We Can't Not Know, A Guide. I love that title. <laughs> what We Can't Not Know, A Guide. In other words, there is a law written on the heart that we know certain things are right and wrong. Now, can we suppress that? Yes, we can. Uh, we can become calloused in our moral understanding and suppress the truth in our wickedness, right? We can do that. And certainly as a follower of Jesus um, and, a, and a believer, right, um, we have the words and moral commands and moral duties that God gives to us, and those are binding for all human beings. So we have the wonderful uh, privilege of sharing those with others. And if you even look at something as simple as the Ten Commandments that show us how we ought to love and honor God and to love our neighbor as ourselves, you see an expression of the moral nature of God himself given to us. And then certainly uh, when we look at the person of Jesus himself, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. You want to learn about how we ought to love God and love people uh, and live lives that are pleasing to God and morally good and virtuous? Well, we look at the person of Jesus himself. And there's no coincidence why Jesus calls people to be disciples, learners, followers of him. And if we know him, we follow him, we'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Uh, And by following him, worshiping, we not only become forgiven people because of his sacrifice and work on the cross for us, but we become new people and changing people because we're becoming more and more and more like him. And that gives us great confidence right, in the truth, and certainly in following him in a way that is good and right and true, and in humility when we confront or are confronted with or uh, somebody brings us an example of putting grandma on the ice floe and letting her letting her go and um, or, or going on your, your campgrounds where you're, you're doing uh, um, things that are not good. 
Well, that's what we got today, guys. I hope you uh, enjoyed a discussion of moral cultural relativism, which is false. Moral differences, they exist. Let's be kind to one another. Let's follow the prince of peace with one another. But let us not be caught and captured by some cultural nonsense uh, where someone is giving us some cultural truth while they're saying there aren't any. We ought to be woke to that. Well, thanks for joining us today. The Gospel Underground is a joint production of Power Changing the Bonhoeffer House. You can review us on iTunes. We accept five-star reviews from everyone there on the iTunes Music Store. Send your comments, feedback, and or questions that you might want us to take up here on the Underground to info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place between the borderlands, between church and culture. We hope to see you there. Remember, friends. You can cry, but I probably can't hear you because it's loud when the shop backs on. We found a place to settle down. We bought a driveway and a swing set and a dog. You got your very own bathroom. I got my very own workshop in the basement. Sit around staring at the wall to wall. Take field trips to our favorite mall. Waiting for the day when all the kids grow up and leave us here. If you need me, I'll be downstairs with the shop back. You can call, but I probably won't hear you because it's loud with the shop back on. be okay, you'll be upstairs with the TV. You can cry, and I probably won't hear you because it's loud with the shop back on. grocery store I bought a mower I can ride around the yard But we haven't got real friends And now even the fake ones have stopped calling Maybe if you forget to hide the keys I'll take a ride to Applebee's Come home drunk on daiquiris And throw up on the neighbor's lawn If you need me, I'll be downstairs the shop back you can call but i probably won't hear you because it's loud with the shop back on you'll be okay you'll be upstairs with the tv you can cry and i probably won't hear you because it's loud with the shop back on i like the starbucks here that's better than the other one because the other one's not
Stop that.